Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. For joining us tonight, I'm Elizabeth Vargas. Hope we'll see you again tomorrow night. The news continues with Leland Vetter. Tonight, Brothers Keeper. They both came out of the autopsy saying they could not call it a suicide because it appeared too much like a homicide. Jeffrey Epstein's only sibling wants answers as fresh files raise fresh questions on his brother's death. How to find the truth about a suicide that proved oh so convenient for the rich and powerful. Presidential power. As a president, you have to have immunity. Donald Trump test drives his campaign strategy in the courtroom while the Supreme Court might just let the voters decide. The notion that criminal immunity for a president doesn't exist is a shocking holding. Buddies, Bill Clinton and Gavin Newsom spotted together at a beach resort in Mexico. The Democratic backup plan takes shape, and the woman who could spoil it all. What's going to happen in this next election? I am terrified. Parents' rights. School shouldn't keep information like that for parents. Kids need a permission slip for aspirin, but not for changing their gender identity. Will lawsuits force school districts to change? And no cops on the beat. San Francisco offers $112,000 a year to wear the badge, and still nobody will sign up. Will America ever recover from defund the police? Breaking news on multiple fronts as we come on the air this evening. Political news out of Iowa and New Hampshire, where Nikki Haley could pull off surprises in both states. That could, emphasis could, completely change the dynamic of the Republican nomination fight and completely upend President Trump's election strategy, but perhaps more importantly, upend his legal strategy, including in the court case he was in D.C. for today. The latest CNN poll shows Haley within a single digits of Trump in New Hampshire. A New Hampshire win doesn't necessarily mean you win the nomination. Just ask Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders or John McCain, all who won New Hampshire but didn't end up as the nominee that year. But losing New Hampshire changes Trump's argument that he is the inevitable nominee. That change will hurt him in every court case for a full month between New Hampshire and South Carolina. The Supreme Court is going to get involved. We'll have a man who argued before the Supreme Court the last time they decided a presidential election. Tom Dupree with us as long as well as George Will later in the show. But we start with major breaking news in the Jeffrey Epstein case and bombshell allegations from Epstein's brother, Mark. He joins us in a few minutes in his first TV interview since this massive group of documents came out. We are, and we hold ourselves to be, the fairest show on television. And to be fair, the allegations and names coming out get weirder by the day. But there is a recurring theme. All the things we don't know about Epstein's life and death. And the latest document dump is over. Today we received a ninth batch of exhibits in total. 
216 documents, 4,874 pages since January 3rd. Yet so much remains secret. The why here is important, why we are covering this story. Because it would be so easy for the FBI and prosecutors and courts to release everything, but they refuse. I'm not talking about the victims' names. Epstein did awful things to young women, some of age, some not. But anybody who cries about protecting the victims is missing the point or has alternative motives. The rich and powerful associated with Epstein after his child prostitution conviction. They did that by choice. Now they want the story to go away. They want Epstein to take their secrets to the grave. That can't happen. That isn't fair to the victims, some of whom are dead themselves. And yet we don't have the tapes that the FBI took from Epstein's townhouse. We don't have his financial records. And we have the overwhelming agreement among those that know some powerful people are working very hard so the truth doesn't come out. As you will hear, his brother now points to six separate points that raise serious questions about Epstein's death. The camera's not working, the guard's asleep, and then falsifying records. The 911 call we can't hear, and more. And then there is the continued questions about Epstein's life. But Epstein's dead. His madam is in jail. As far as we know, there are no ongoing criminal investigations. Yet, unlike almost any other case in human history, so much remains secret. That is not normal. Of course, the media jumps on all the big names, like the story today that Virginia Gufri partied with Heidi Klum. Who knows if that's true? And that Bill Clinton visited Epstein's islands. Again, who knows? Clinton denies he ever went to the island. But the new pictures show young women brought there. And perhaps most importantly, we still don't know where Epstein got the money to do it all. With us now, Jeffrey Epstein's brother, Mark. Nice to talk to you, sir. We appreciate the time. I, I know you have said, and we have listed uh, the irregularity, shall we say, if we want to use that term generously, uh, involving your brother's death. You say you want more of an investigation. Is that because you believe there are more irregularities or because you believe that the irregularities point to the possibility that your brother was killed? Yeah, well, the, first of all, you're saying an investigation. It doesn't seem to have been much of an investigation at all. That's the real question, because things like the EMT and the medical personnel at the hospital, none of them have ever been questioned. And they have found that to be odd because they're always questioned, especially in high-profile cases. You know, so the question becomes, what investigation was done? It doesn't seem to have been any, because the pathologist that did the autopsy, the city pathologist, and Dr. Bodden, who I had there, they both came out of the autopsy saying they could not call it a suicide because it appeared too much like a homicide. There are a number of reasons why. And then, uh, so on the initial death certificate, the cause of death said pending, meaning pending further investigation. Now, supposedly when it says pending further investigation, it takes weeks to come up with a determination. But yet a few days later, Attorney General Barr says it's a suicide. And it wasn't really his position to do that. And then the medical examiner. Well, we have we have that soundbite. Let me let me play it from you from then Attorney General Bill Barr. Please do. 
I was appalled, and indeed the whole department was. We are now learning of serious irregularities at this facility that are deeply concerning and demand a thorough investigation. Then he told the Associated Press that the case involved, quote, a perfect storm, in his words, of screw-ups. Do you believe him that this was merely screw-ups? No, I don't. Yes, there were screw-ups, but that doesn't mean that my brother was you know, committed suicide because of screw-ups. There's a lot of reasons, there's a number of reasons why he would not commit suicide then. You know, like what? You know, for, well, for instance, uh, when, he, when he was first arrested, his attorneys called and asked me if I would participate in his bail. So I said, sure. I said, put up my house in Florida for bail, thinking maybe he'd get bail. But we, we know bail was denied. Uh, but then they went, they were going to appeal the bail decision. And Jeff was putting up a very large bail. And his attorneys asked me if I would guarantee his entire bail, in essence, doubling it. And I agreed. And he and it would have been the highest bail in U.S. history at that point in time. I Googled what it was the number? Well, the highest bail in U.S. history at that point in time was one hundred million dollars. OK, and uh, I don't remember the exact number, but this would have been somewhere approximately, I think, one hundred and sixty million dollars. We know that Ghislaine Maxwell's in jail. We know that your yes. brother is dead. But there are so many unanswered questions here. If you and your suspicions are correct that something else other than suicide happened to your brother, there was a reason for it. And I'm wondering, we know so much or so little, whatever you want to say, about his death. What's being covered up about his life and who would want him dead and why? Well, he had, he had dirt on people. He told me, like, I, it's been out there that in 2016 he said he had dirt on the then presidential candidates. He didn't tell me what that dirt was, and I don't know. And I wasn't involved with his day-to-day life, so I don't know what he knows. But to go back to your initial question, uh, why? I mean, you'd, you'd have to ask Bill Barr, if he was covering this up, which it appears to be, who was he covering it up for? Who was Bill Barr protecting? There's very few people who knew him the way you did, and you hear all these allegations that he was providing women, uh, some of age, some not of age, to other men to compromise them. Uh, There's allegations of videotapes that have been recanted on and on and on, but does all that surprise you, or you hear about that and you kind of go, gee, there was always something about him that that is a brother, you go, that kind of makes sense. No, it doesn't make sense to me. I think he was just, like you said, he was just having a good time. Jeffrey liked to have a good time. And unfortunately, he chose there, to do it with, well, Hold on. There, there's, a, I, there's a big difference, I, though, between I having... There. I wasn't there. So you're asking me to speculate, and I really don't want to speculate because I wasn't there. Okay. And look, I wouldn't want to know this. I don't have a brother, but I wouldn't want to know this about anybody I loved. I mean, the, the allegations are are frankly revolting when you when you hear about what your brother is accused of doing. On a, on a personal level, I know this would be hard to hear about a, a family member. So I, I appreciate you being willing to discuss it with us. Um, and like you, um, I think there's a lot of people who want more answers. With us now, Jeffrey Epstein's former attorney, Alan Dershowitz, who's of course been named in some of these documents. Uh, he has been cleared of any wrongdoing in the Epstein case. We just talked, obviously, to Jeffrey Epstein's brother about his death, all the unanswered questions about his death. Now I want to get to the unanswered questions about his life. Have you ever seen a case 
where the guy who is the main perpetrator is dead. There's no ongoing investigations. His alleged accomplice or his accomplice is now in jail. And yet so many things, the tapes, the logs, the financial records all remain secret. No, I've never seen anything like that. And history and truth have its claims. And I'm glad that the media is seeking everything. From the day I was falsely accused, I asked that every single piece of paper, every videotape, every audio tape, every document be released. I waived any right to privacy. I hope there are videotapes of every sexual encounter that ever took place around Epstein because it would prove that I was not among them. I get being uh, angry about what happened to you. I understand that. And I, I appreciate it. And I and I don't know how else to say it, that you were wrongly accused and, and that that has come yeah. out looking looking forward, though, about what is the people who aren't being accused, the people who are still being protected. Is there any explanation for keeping all of these records still uh, the FBI's uh, search warrant? Results. Some of the tapes that were recovered, the hard drives, all that. Is there any explanation for the FBI and others keeping that secret other than they're trying to cover up for people? Well, there's no good explanation. Uh, there is an FBI report which names all the names, and the names have been redacted. And I have formally requested the unredaction redacting of those names, and the judge hasn't done it, and the FBI hasn't done it. Uh, there are people whose names should be disclosed. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, uh, the Lady Rothschild, uh, who introduced me to Jeffrey Epstein, and we think introduced Bill Clinton to Jeffrey Epstein and maybe Prince Andrew. Uh, her name hasn't come up at all, and yet she was as close to Jeffrey Epstein as anybody could possibly be during the period of time when he was doing uh, some of these things. So. Uh, that's a name that should be disclosed. There are other names. Leslie Wexler's so name has been who's disclosed. protecting him? You know, there are rich and powerful people who have access to both um, political figures and judicial figures and, and the media. You've said that you think that Jeffrey Epstein had blackmail on people of a, of a sexual nature, which is, it would explain why he was getting money to manage and how he amassed some of his wealth. Um, now that you've seen the, the latest trove of documents and some of the accusations there, is it clear to you, having been in the law for so long, that there is more, that there is more out there of, of a blackmail nature, that there is evidence of blackmail that's being covered up? I have no doubt about it. And look, Jeffrey Epstein once told me um, uh, I said to him when he was being prosecuted, do you have who do you have to worry about? And he um, somebody close to him, I mentioned the name and he said, no, 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 don't have to worry about him. Uh, he's not going to say anything. I have too much on him. Well, can you give me some names of people who'd be that powerful that could keep something like this under wraps for so long? Well, I can tell you part of the fault is with the media. The media does not want to tell the full story. They don't want to get into the fact that some of the accusers may not be telling the truth. Um, mm -hmm. A woman named Sarah Ransom, we now know, yep. has told about Hillary Clinton, about Donald Trump, about Richard Branson, about Bill Clinton, about many, many other people. So let's get to the bottom of it. And people should be indicted for perjury if they lied, even if they were victims. That's a good point. If they and falsely accuse other people under oath, they should be prosecuted.
As you, as you point out, there's so many people who just want this to go away rather than actually uh, uncover everything. Uh, it's good to see you, sir. Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Next, Trump's election strategy and legal strategy look one and the same. Delay, delay, and wait for the Supreme Court, why it might work. And parents in Michigan say their kids' school secretly changed their daughter's sexual identity. When you need a permission slip to go on a field trip, we'll give you the district's explanation for keeping the parents in the dark. that makes you proud. But more than that, what does it mean in this caucus to all of you if we want to see a change? Nikki Haley's rise in Iowa, momentum in New Hampshire could upend Donald Trump's legal strategy. Let us explain. Today he came to D.C. for his lawyers to argue a motion on presidential immunity. And things, as happens occasionally with Trump, got a little wild including this exchange between one of the judges and Trump's lawyer. Could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached, would he be subject to criminal prosecution? If he were impeached and convicted first. So so your answer is Is, no. My answer is qualified, yes. Trump's campaign strategy to run up the delegate count and delay criminal cases until he is the presumptive nominee could change things both legally and politically. That only works if he is the presumptive nominee. Nikki Haley is now within single digits in New Hampshire. She's peaking at exactly the right time. Trump wants to force the Supreme Court to decide if they're going to allow the criminal prosecution of the presumptive nominee, if the Department of Justice will continue the prosecution of the presumptive nominee. That's his best chance. If Haley wins New Hampshire, there's a month where Trump isn't the presumptive nominee. And CNN loves it. The political and legal calendar, if you look at it over the course of the next few months, it, it hurts your it, eyes. It, yeah, it, it looks like the weekend sports calendar <laughs> in the Mattingly the household. The morning is hurting your eyes right <laughs> now. Ubering my children around. <laughs> Here now, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General under George W. Bush, Tom Dupree. He helped the last time the Supreme Court decided our president back in 2000. Uh, let's take the mocking aside for a moment. Is it possible, really, to take the political side of this and the legal side of this and pull them apart? I don't see how you can disentangle the politics from the law here, Leland. This is a campaign that really is unique in American history, where so much of the day-to-day reporting on the campaign, the events that are driving voter perceptions, the candidate's behavior is being determined by what's going on in a courtroom. Uh, today, it was a federal court of appeals here in Washington, D.C. Tomorrow, it may be the Supreme Court, but there is no way that you can separate the political from the legal in this uh, environment. So, and President Trump did campaigns on it, right? A big part of his presidential campaign is that he is being prosecuted, in his words, persecuted uh, by the Biden uh, administration. In the end, we know at least part of this is going to go to the Supreme Court because they've already said they're going to hear arguments on the Colorado case where he's not going to be on the ballot unless they overturn the Colorado Supreme Court. He's eventually a number of these issues, presidential immunity, are going to get to the Supreme Court. Does the court in that case only decide the law or must they also decide the politics? 
Well, there too, it's hard, I think, for the Supreme Court to separate the two. Uh, they will decide it on the law. I think the justices, all of them, liberal, conservative, will decide these cases based on what they think the Constitution and the law require. That said, judges are human. They're not, justices are human, and they're not immune from paying attention to the political environment, the consequences of their decision. And I think there's, frankly, a lot of historical memory on the court, going back to Bush versus Gore, and that any time the court gets involved in politics, which they don't like to do, they realize they pay a little bit of an institutional price because there are going to be people out there who look whichever way they go who are going to be dissatisfied with the decision and say there's politics at work here. I'll, I'll flip that around, though, and you think about the makeup of the court. How much do they, though, want to ensure that the justice system stays the justice system, the political system stays the political system, and that the political system can't be used, the justice system can't be used by politicians of either side? Right. And, and that is going to be first and foremost, it'll be in the foreground of whatever they decide, is basically to say that, look, disputes like this, politically driven disputes need to be decided at the polling place, election halls, that sort of thing, not in courts of law. But unfortunately, I think events have put us in a place where it's impossible for the Supreme Court to completely turn these cases away and say, we're not going to have a role in it. They're being dragged into this almost against their will. And I think one very interesting test will be whether Chief Justice Roberts can get a lot of the more liberal justices and the conservative justices to vote together, to speak unanimously, so you don't have one of those fractured, politically driven decisions that will, again, just corrode a lot of people's faith. You in think court. about it, if it's 9-0, that says something way different than if it's 6-3 if it's absolutely, or 5-4. Absolutely. You think about all of Donald Trump's criminal indictments, election interference, classified documents case, the Fulton County case in Georgia, some big news on that today, we're gonna, we'll be following it, hush money, fal falsifying business records case. Okay, these all begin and, and can occur after he would be, if things go his way, the presumptive nominee. Does that change his arguments? I, I think it changes his arguments a bit in that he would have stronger ground for making the arguments he's already been making, that this is all politically driven. In other words, if he's just one of many candidates, that's one thing. But if he is the nominee or even the presumptive nominee, those arguments would carry more force, maybe not in a court of law, but certainly in the court of public opinion. Of course, his ultimate endgame here is if he can delay things long enough and he wins the election then the game is completely changed because at least as far as the federal prosecutions go on day one of a new Trump presidency, he can dismiss all those claims against him. And, and conceivably, the Supreme Court could say, we're going to wait on all of this until the election. They, they, that is within their power. They sure could. Yeah, they could delay a lot of these things. And that's going to be another interesting thing to keep an eye on is how quickly they decide it. Thank you, Tom. Well, Thank you. Know, or, or if they're able to push it off so they don't have to. Exactly. All right. News Nation special coverage of the Iowa caucuses, this being the political part, starts this Friday. We'll be live from Des Moines, Iowa, 7 p.m. Eastern. A very chilly Des Moines, Iowa, for a special edition of On Balance. On Monday, Chris Cuomo, Dan Abrams, Elizabeth Vargas co-host a live special coverage starting at 8 p.m. Eastern. Back when I went to school, it wasn't that long ago, actually, the gray hair notwithstanding, you needed your parents' permission to get an aspirin from the nurse, literally. But times have changed, evidenced by one family in West Michigan that alleges their daughter's school helped transition them from a girl to a boy, not only without their consent, but without even telling them and keeping this information from the parents. When the student entered eighth grade, the school district began using male pronouns. But the parents say they had no idea that this was occurring. Parents claim the document was accidentally sent to them, revealing the pronouns and name family then pulled their daughter out of the public school and began homeschooling about a year and a half ago. With us now, the parents who are suing 
their daughter's former school district, Dan and Jennifer Mead, along with their lawyer, Vincent Wagner. Thank you both. Jennifer, as I understand it, you were the one who figured this out. Had your child given you any indication that this was happening and that they were going by a different pronoun? Is it something that was clear that the school was conspiring with your daughter to keep from you? No, our daughter, she was having some um, some academic issues at school. She was really struggling emotionally. And we were working with the school very closely to try and come up with a plan to help her. So uh, we didn't have any idea from the school. They didn't disclose that they were hiding this information from us. Do you think they would encourage her? And either of you can answer this. Do you think they were encouraging her to become a boy? Uh, yes, it would, was not only did we have that documentation where they were referring to her by a, a boy's name and boy pronouns, uh, we also found a book that was given to her by the school counselor out of the school counselor's personal library that was contained information and um, propaganda regarding uh, that type of uh, that type of behavior. Vincent, this is from the school district. We just got this. We have an obligation to continue to protect the privacy of this family and their child. As such, we will not comment on the case nor try the case in the media. We respectfully decline to comment and let the legal process run its course. What exactly do you all want? Do you want damages? Are you trying to change school policy? How does this play out? This is about protecting other parents from the harm that Dan and Jennifer suffered. They were betrayed. They put their trust in this school district, and the school district betrayed their trust. Parents have a right. It's a fundamental right under the U.S. Constitution to make important decisions for their children and to help their children through these sorts of important decisions. And schools violate that right when they hide information from parents like East Rockford Middle School did here. All right. You you said the harm that was done. Dan and Jennifer, how how is your daughter doing? She's doing fantastic. I mean, before this, when she was in school, she had a lot of anxiety. She was depressed. She missed a lot of school because she didn't simply want to go. And now that we've brought her home, she is in a much better place. We are speaking truth to her. She is happy. We are healing. She's just a different child now. Vincent, we zoom out of, on this situation, and I, look, I, I can't imagine, I'm not a parent, what Dan and Jennifer went through, but uh, to see your, your daughter have the, the troubles that she had and to feel it was uh, put upon her by the school would be devastating. Uh, Cato Institute, 465 conflicts recorded that drew in parents, teachers, and students at public schools uh, across the United States last year, 118 over pronouns, 144 over teachers' curriculums, 99 over reading materials. We've seen fights erupt at the, the PTA meetings, at school board meetings. Uh, we've seen parents uh, pulled out of school board meetings because of reading from material that's in some of these libraries and the like. I'm wondering if the, the lawsuits that are coming, can they actually stop any of this or does it have to happen from the school boards themselves? The lawsuits can protect parents' fundamental rights. They have a right to this sort of information about what's going on in the school districts. And I can speak from our experience. We've heard from parents all across the country, from coast to coast, 
um, that schools are hiding information from them and therefore violating their rights under the Constitution. So a lawsuit can vindicate those rights, but also parents should be engaged with their local school board, should know what's going on at the local level, be talking to the teachers, talking to administrators. All right. Fair enough. We appreciate you all being here. Obviously, we're going to follow the case um, as it as it moves forward. Coming up next, Gavin Newsom and Bill Clinton enjoy some time together in Mexico. What exactly could they be discussing? George Will with us as there are more questions surrounding the top of the Democratic ticket. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at California Governor Gavin Newsom and President Bill Clinton are hanging out together at the Four Seasons Resort in Mexico. Beachfront rooms in Taramondo start at $1,400 a night. There's also private villas on site, golf, cliffside ocean views, and lots of time to talk. Piers Morgan wrote an op-ed in the New York Post. What did Bill Clinton and Gavin Newsom talk about? I have an idea Is this the first real proof there is a secret Democratic plot to oust Joe Biden? Goes on to detail an imaginary conversation between them and plotting Biden's dropout and Newsom taking over. It was riotlessly funny. You should read it. Or maybe Newsom was giving Clinton advice on weathering the Epstein storm. We'll never know. Here now, George Will, News Nation senior political contributor, Pulitzer Prize winning columnist. I keep coming back to this, that the conversation about Joe Biden dropping out is silly up until the point that it's not. Exactly. And, but it's, it's constant also, because the, the polls are just devastating. The most awful one being recently that uh, his support among African-Americans is about 65 percent. The you, average for a Democrat since the passage of the Voting Rights Act, 85 So you think about this in context. Who would be, and I have to imagine Bill Clinton is at the very top of the list, of the Democrats who would be organizing the uh, pat on the shoulder to Joe Biden in the same way that Lyndon Johnson got one, to say, it's time to step aside? Clinton would be, but I think also Obama. Obama, notice, lives in Washington. Unlike all his predecessors, he just won't disappear. And he's clearly holding meetings, and he clearly feels rightly that in some sense his presidency is being judged by the fact that it was followed immediately by Trump, then Joe Biden, who's not been a raging success, and the danger is that Trump comes again. Now, if you're, if you're Obama, your legacy is Trump, Biden, Trump. Oh, my goodness. You think about who the other option would be. You always have to have somebody to replace nobody. Um, the, the Democrats certainly don't want to replace what happened in 1968, either in Chicago or in the general election. Gavin Newsom, Kamala Harris, Michelle Obama, Robert Kennedy Jr., Marianne Williamson. Uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. is running as independent, so who knows? Marianne Williamson, uh, probably not. The person who I keep centering on is Michelle Obama. Uh, 
popular uh, popularity second only to Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and Queen Elizabeth. And interestingly enough, you said Barack Obama. He is someone who is not out there vigorously supporting Joe Biden. It would look to the country that the Democratic Party has no bench at all if it has to go, go back to a, a former first lady. Gavin Newsom has name recognition. He has an enormous state behind him. He has delegates that would help him instantly in a campaign. On the other hand, he's the best governor Texas has had in a long time because people are fleeing California. Just look at the U-Haul records, where the people are renting them and where they're going. They're going to Austin. They're going to San Antonio. They're getting out of Newsom's California, which for the first time since the gold rush is losing population. What does it say? about Joe Biden that this conversation, as you pointed out, is persistent? How does he overcome that? At what point does the conversation ever stop? He's going to wait the people out. He can't change the poll numbers. He's tried everything, and, and everything he does makes matters worse. So he's, he's stuck with the polling, but the clock is his friend here because they're just running out of time to do anything else. Unless we have what the uh, Democrats refer to mincingly as an actuarial event, which is a nice way of saying God intervenes. Well, look, and it, it, it is almost impossible, given the, the medical care that the president of the United States receives, for a president to die in office of natural causes, short of some just sort of massive shutdown. It just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. But at the same time, Johnson dropped out in March. We're nowhere near March. And is there a reason it couldn't be sometime before the convention? Is there is there any talk that you're hearing in the Democratic Party of somehow forcing the issue? The person who can force the issue is Nikki Haley. That is, if it seems by the middle of March or the beginning of April, Nikki Haley is, say, one New Hampshire, one South Carolina, the front-loading of the delegate selection doesn't make it a landslide immediately for Trump. If it looks as though Nikki Haley is going to run against Biden and are currently is now 17 points ahead in national polls, the Democrats are not going to let, let go, go off a cliff with Joe Biden because that is such a landslide. It would have an effect all the way down the ticket in the House and Senate races. Interesting. And so now it all comes back to Iowa, which is on Monday, New Hampshire, uh, eight days after that. What do you make of and we'll go to what we were talking about, about the court cases with Donald Trump real quickly. What do you make of this month between New Hampshire and South Carolina? If Nikki Haley does win New Hampshire, that helps her and hurts Trump, does it not? Oh, tremendously. Tremendously. Because Trump's whole persona is that he's a winner. That's why this uh, lawsuit in New York about his misrepresentation of his wealth is so devastating. Because he's had the charisma of wealth, and now we know he was making it up. Hmm. So uh, we could see an enormous amount of gas going out of the balloon in a hurry. All right. George, good to see you, sir. Good As always, you. thank you. Coming up next, things have gotten so bad that $112,000 isn't enough to get people to patrol the streets of San Francisco. We'll look for solutions with law enforcement when we come back. 
Cigna Healthcare, WellCare, so you can compare your options, coverage, and pricing across multiple carriers. If you are new to Medicare, recently moved, or losing coverage, make the free call to the number on your screen. Give your zip code to the licensed insurance agent that answers, and they'll walk you through the entire process step-by-step. It's that easy. I just became eligible for Medicare, so I call to find a plan that fits my budget. For a free no-obligation consultation, call 800-591-2197. Today's Law Enforcement Appreciation Day in Fargo, North Dakota. They showed their appreciation with this video thanking police for their service. Fargo is the exception. Maybe that explains why nobody wants to be a cop these days. The police shortage problem in America is far worse than we understand, but it makes perfect sense. Consider San Francisco where they are offering $112,000 a year as starting pay, and the city can't hire enough cops. No college degree required. Sure, San Francisco is an expensive city to live in, but nothing is worth your life. San Francisco saw a rise in violent crimes in 2023. No surprise, robberies jumped 17%, car thefts up 11%. As we've shown you time and time again, these crimes are caught on tape, often in broad daylight. And cops will tell you if they arrest people, well, They're let out on bail or charges are dropped. Maybe the definition of an unsatisfying and dangerous job. Skid Row remains in San Francisco, Skid Row, with no desire to clean it up. Last year, San Francisco PD got 26 recruits compared to 93 in 2019 and 27 in 2021. It's almost like something happened with police in 2020. Bloomberg, to that end, quotes the acting chief of police across the country in Ithaca, New York. 20 years ago, we would have hundreds of people knocking down our door to be police officers. That's not true in our society anymore. As we told you, this problem is much bigger than we understand. We're going to dive into it tomorrow with Lieutenant Tracy McRae of the San Francisco Police Officers Association. Of course, an officer shortage just keeps compounding. We told you about this story first today in War Notes. It gives you a free look at the show every day at 4 p.m. Go to warnotes.com and subscribe. The notes started as our internal email discussion about the most important events of the day. It gives you our look at the most important stories of the day. You can, of course, respond to the email with your thoughts or join us on social media at Leland Vittert on Instagram or Twitter That's warnotes.com and subscribe for free. Coming up next, Republicans want to remove the Department of Homeland Security over the mess at the southern border. It is a mess. Alejandro Mayorkas is a walking, talking Republican attack ad. But are the pictures you see here really his fault? Some have accused DHS of not enforcing our nation's laws. This could not be further from the truth. Unlawful presence in the United States will alone not be a basis for an immigration enforcement action. For every illegal immigrant coming to America, and there's a lot of them, they call back home to report they made it to New York, Chicago, or any other city. They have work permits and court dates set for 2023. That's due to the parole authority granted by the executive branch to allow asylum seekers into the United States to await their hearings for literally seven years. This is a choice by President Biden. He alone can change it. A record number of migrants have been encountered or apprehended at the southern border during the Biden administration, a record number released as well. 
6.77 million so far. It's expected to reach 10 million by the end of Mr. Biden's term. The DHS secretary recently told Border Patrol that roughly 85% of those coming across and encountered get parole. Again, that's a choice by the Biden administration. House Republicans start impeachment proceedings against Mayorkas tomorrow. Chairman of that committee, Mark Green, chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee, is with us now. Help us understand, what is it, if Mayorkas is going to be impeached, that he is impeached for? Congressman, can you hear us, Mr. Chairman? He can, I believe he can perhaps hear me or maybe see me, but I don't think he can hear me because otherwise he would have been talking. We're working on the audio right now. The issue here is whether this is a problem of Alejandro Americas not following the law or Alejandro Americas following the orders of his boss, President Biden. And we're talking about an awful lot of people. Ten million people have come or are expected to come illegally over the past four years. And if anyone who asks for asylum is offered parole, that means millions come into America with very, very little vetting. One of the things that Congressman Green has talked about in the past, Chairman Green has talked about in the past, is the issue of members of the Chinese Liberation Army, the People's Liberation Army, coming across our southern border. We're going to play for you CNN just now figuring that out and Chairman Green talking about it now more than four months ago on the program. This is just one of three makeshift border camps we stop at in eastern San Diego County. Alongside migrants from Latin America, at each camp, we meet dozens from China. The numbers reflect the surge. Members who were in the People's Liberation Army, the People's Liberation Air Force, and they are here in the United States, released into the United States. You have to think that this is a part of some plan or strategy. You'd be foolish not to at least consider that. And now more and people, more and more people are considering that and figuring it out. We just heard from Chairman Green via cell phone. Evidently, the power went out at his home, which means the Skype system that we were using to talk to him went out as well. We're going to press on and talk about the hearing that will happen tomorrow. There's going to be some state's attorneys generals coming to Washington, and they will testify about what is happening to their state because of the influx of illegal immigrants at the southern border. As we've said, we're talking about millions of people being let into the United States. There's been cases of illegal immigrants being involved in crimes. And obviously, there's also been cases of illegal immigrants causing a huge amount of problems, even in blue cities. We're talking about places like Chicago and New York. Here is the issue that is being discussed, not only about the impeachment. And to be fair, impeaching Mayorkas isn't going to change this policy of parole. The much bigger issue is what's happening in Congress as it relates to negotiations about parole. Parole, as we said, is something that President Biden and his administration decided to change all the way back when they came into office and allow parole for people seeking asylum. Live pictures of Eagle Pass, Texas, one of the places that's been quite literally overrun by people coming to America. The negotiations right now going on about parole are this. Republicans are saying that they will fund Ukraine 
and fund the administration, the Biden administration's ask for weapons for Ukraine in exchange for the Biden administration ending parole. The Biden administration will not end parole. They are holding that sacred. They view allowing illegal immigrants who come across, as you heard, 85% of them or more to then come into the United States with work permits and stay for years and years as a sacred part of their policy. They will not change it. It's important to the progressive left. You're going to hear a lot about that tomorrow at this hearing, about why these immigrants are being released into the United States. We'll have that tomorrow. Cuomo is next from New York. I'll see you Wednesday. They talk about uh, threat to democracy. That's your real threat to democracy. And I feel that as a president, you have to have immunity. Very simple. All right, everybody, I'm Chris Cuomo. It's Tuesday. We're live. So let's get after it. That's former President Donald Trump, of course, showed up voluntarily today, but he had to. This case will likely determine if he can be prosecuted by the special prosecutor. So the question is, was Trump right? Could he shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and not only not lose political support, but not get prosecuted? That's what his attorneys say. Their argument is this. 